Welcome to Beyond the Block with Brother Jones and Brother Knox centering the marginalized in Mormonism. Uh, Brother Derek, how you doing, sir? Well, it's still LGBT History Month, and yes, I haven't done much for that, but I think we really should dedicate, well, not now, but we as a church should dedicate more towards the history of LGBTQ saints, which we don't talk about enough. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even ask you about that, Derek. Uh, what kind of things would you suggest that uh, we straight folks be doing out here in uh, as a means of celebration? Well, I think the best thing to do is to promote the stories of LGBT history makers now. All There's a lot of history that we're making. Mm-hmm. Derek is making history. Derek will be making history with that course he produces that I hope y'all are still bothering him about. So, uh, yeah, about yeah. that, that's going to be a, <laughs> that's going to be an uphill battle. It always is brother. It always is, but it is, it is going to be well worth it. And, um, we wrapped up, I believe Blair mm-hmm. Osler's a uh, book club or at least a book club around, uh, their book yeah. just a little bit ago. So that was great. And I definitely recommend anybody who hasn't got them, gotten themselves a copy of Blair Osler's book, uh, definitely go ahead and get you one. Uh, Queer Mormon Theology, I believe it is on Amazon. I don't know where else you can get it, but that is where it is. And it does a really good job of talking about certain... Mm, it does. Yeah. I, I just recommend it. Like, I love the way Blair writes anyway. Uh, their writing is very poetic. It's very logical. It makes a lot of sense. And it's very accessible. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's something that I've been missing. There's so many things about it that I've been missing in uh, queer LDS scholarship. Yeah. So, yeah, like my stuff isn't accessible. Well, I would know, Derek, if you actually wrote something. Whoops. If you actually wrote something. When is Derek's book coming out? That's what the people want to know. Yeah. That's going to, I don't know. That's going to take <laughs> a miracle. Yeah. We'll focus on the course first, and then we'll talk about the book, because, you know. Okay. Derek need to be doing these things. Derek has all this knowledge, and it is way too much knowledge to try to be try to dispense it on a podcast every week. We, we, we've been very good, Derek, about making sure that we do an episode of the podcast every week. Very rarely have we missed a week for, even for holidays, but like something. Yeah, we've never missed a week. Yeah. I, we've we've uh, recorded some in advance when we couldn't yes. record some weeks, but we've yes. always done something for each Come Follow Me episode. You are totally right about that, Derek. Not a single one. But even with all of that, Derek, it is not enough to be able to dispense all that you have to offer, which is another reason I really want this course because... Right, right. Okay, so fine, everyone. There's going to be a course yes. part one, and then of there's co- going to be a course <laughs> part two because I'm not going to finish everything that I wanted to say. In, of course well, not. Speaking of finishing, I, I've... I've got way too much on my mind, so we better get started. Very good, very good. That's right. We do have a lot to go over today in just one section of the Doctrine and Covenants, albeit the longest section of the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, before we go ahead and launch into that, I want to remind you guys that we are a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, a collective of independent, interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion of all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. Find out more at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. That is dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. So we are in Doctrine and Covenants section 124 today or this week. We're, we're about uh, two years after Liberty Jail at this point. That's what we did this last week, sections 121 through 123. The persecutions in Missouri have caused the saints to yet again embark on another exodus. We've, we've experienced a few of these during the course of, uh, I, I guess, the narrative arc of Doctrine and Covenants. We are uh, leaving Missouri, the saints are, and we're now refugees on the banks of the Mississippi. Not the first time. The saints were displaced and had to move to a different state and build a new community from scratch. That is, that is not a new thing in, uh, in the Doctrine and Covenants or in the history of the saints. And it's also not the mm-hmm. first time that uh, this trying time, this exodus, if you will, has brought about 
new missions, new tasks, new significant doctrines for the church, uh, new structures and organizations. Like what we're undergoing at this point is a reconstruction of the church. Like that's taking place. Quorums are getting reorganized and several new leaders are being called to fill vacant spots left by apostates and uh, other saints that have uh, since passed. The saints are commanded to build a temple while they're in Nauvoo. That's probably one of the biggest things that happens in Nauvoo and uh, the commandment that we get in this section. The purpose of the temple is stated in this section to be a means of letting the saints receive a fullness of the priesthood ordinances. And this is also the first mention of baptisms for the dead that, that we get in Doctrine and Covenants. And we're going to learn a lot more about the baptisms for the dead as we proceed through the next few sections. Uh, in addition to other new ordinances and new principles and new doctrines that are related to the temple and the priesthood, like a celestial marriage, for example. And I'm sure we're going to have fun with that conversation. But uh, mm -hmm. basically, Nauvoo is going to have its own significant events, uh, its significant inbreaking of doctrine and principles, and also its fair share of controversies concerning the history of the church and the doctrine of the church, many of which were informed of early, in the early stages of Nauvoo. So that is, that is more or less the setting of uh, what's happening at this point in the church's history. We just got to Nauvoo and a lot needs to happen in order for the saints to, well, a lot needs to happen, period. But we're basically undergoing a reconstruction and resettling phase for the saints now that we have arrived in Nauvoo. Do you want to add anything to that, Derek? Is, am I missing anything? No, I don't, I don't think so. All right. Then, uh, we got a lot of content, man, so let's go ahead and dive into it. Where, where would you like to start, my friend? Well, I would like to start by saying that I found the Revelations in Context section of that, well, it's called Revelations in Context, the section 124 part of the Revelations in Context. Is this the thing linked of, in the uh, Gospel Library app, that thing? It's in, yeah, it's in there several okay. places. Got you, got you. And that was really helpful, and I'll be quoting from that at some point. Okay. What I really have noticed is the contingency and dependency of the events that happen. When we look at the narrative of the early church, it's not like, oh, God planned everything out 20 years in advance. It's really timely line-upon-line things, and maybe... Looking at it in hindsight, they would have said, well, just never go to Missouri. Never, maybe you never go to Illinois. Just go to Utah right from Ohio or something like that. But that's not how it happened. And that's right. not how our individual lives happen. We don't have the benefit of hindsight. So we just do what we can and trust that the Lord is in a covenant relationship with us the whole way. That's why I've said that the fullness of the gospel isn't a fullness of information, it's a fullness of relationship. I love and that point. And too many people, what? I was just saying I love that point. You made it a couple of times, but it's a beautiful way of looking at that phrase we use, fullness of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And because I, so, I think so many people want to look at covenants as a, a transaction, but it's really a relationship. Anyway, let's talk about one of the opening, I find very inspiring and very empowering, the example of the early saints in Nauvoo called to appeal to the powers, kings and presidents, especially after the persecution that they faced, appealing to them for protection, for understanding, for empathy. And so they actually did this proclamation. It wasn't done before... Joseph's life ended, but it was done in 1845. But they eventually did this. Look at verse 7. Call ye therefore upon them with loud proclamation and with your testimony, fearing them not, for they are as grass, and all their glory as the flower thereof, which soon falleth, that they may be left also without excuse. And verses 3 through 5, which I'm not going to quote for the sake of time, talk about what the purpose of this proclamation is. And so here we have sort of a two-way maneuver that I'm going to do. One is looking at the example of 
the early church leaders and their ability to boldly appeal to those with power when they didn't have any. And we who are on the margins in the church can likewise appeal to those with power in the church with the same spirit of DNC 124. And then the second maneuver I have is to say, well, when the leaders of our church get put into a position of where they need to explain or they need to defend, they absolutely have the right and the duty to be held accountable and they should not fear from a challenging conversation. So let me talk about the first point. I was inspired by something Bradley Talbot said on Facebook. He said... Bradley Talbot. He, yes, he's a queer member of the church, queer young member of the church. Oh, is he the host of the... Uh, or one of the hosts from that podcast we be following sometimes? Shoot. What yes. Is the okay, yes. just making sure. Um, I need to get the name of it because I don't want to like just refer yeah, to it. Yeah, it is the uh, No More Strangers. Stra strangers No strangers More. Strangers No More. That's the one. Yeah, Strangers No More. Okay, thank you. Just wanted to make sure I'm thinking of the same person. Go ahead. And Go ahead. he's also the one that lit up the Y with rainbow colors. He organized that. Got you. Which I think is very powerful. Here's what, what he said. He said, quote, if I have a question about doctrine or the gospel, am I able to talk to the first presidency about it? If not, why am I left to the mercy of a bishop or stake president that might treat me unfairly? Close quote. Mm. And I thought that was a very powerful way of framing it because in practice we kind of know the answer. Like, I am not able to speak to the first presidency. I don't know them. They... There's no sense of direct access. Now, the problem with that is prophets in the Bible, oh boy, did they want to answer questions. Mm -hmm. Like Moses judged cases in Exodus, well, where is it? Exodus 18 or 19, he judges whole bunches of cases from random everyday people. I'm, I'm also thinking of the prophet Ezekiel. You know, he went out of his way to get people to listen to him. He went naked for years as a symbol of the devastation of, of the people of Israel. He laid on his side for years, and he uh, baked bread with dung. Most likely it's baked it using dung as a fuel for baking it, not dung in the Okay, bread. okay. But, and then he... Um, decided to, oh, I want to do an object lesson. I'm going to make a miniature model of Jerusalem and destroy it. So basically, if anyone came up to Ezekiel and said, hey, I want your time, I, I've got questions for you, he would be begging for people to listen to him. He would be begging for people to come with questions. He wanted everyone to hear what he was saying in a context that they would be able to understand it. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious as to why our leaders don't make themselves more accessible to questions from us. And the problem is people say, well, you've got this ladder. you got to go up the chain. you got to talk to your bishop and your stake president. But, you know, that doesn't do anything. We know that. And part of the reason we know it doesn't do anything is the structure is designed so that information doesn't flow up. It's only one way. It's which, which direction do you face? It's like we've got stuff from God and we're talking to you and we don't, we don't get the feedback we need to actually bring revelation to the Lord. And that gets back to the real reason why talking to the bishop or stake president is not sufficient, because they cannot receive new doctrine, mm. right? The only person who can receive new doctrine on my behalf for the whole church is the president of the church, which means if there's any hope for new doctrine, if there's some problem that can only be fixed by new doctrine, I can't go to the stake president. I have to go to the prophet. And if we've made a mistake, we've made a tragic mistake on LGBT issues. And if we're not allowed to go and say, hey, what's up with this? Here's what it is. Here's what we know. Here's the new light and knowledge that's already in the world. If we can't go to our, our the people at the very top, then what, what, what is it? Are they actually being prophets? Is there a living prophet if when we get their messages, it's not alive and we're not allowed to have a live conversation. People say, oh, look, we've got the benefit of, you know, their articles and general conference. But I was thinking about that 
in many ways, those things aren't any more live than the scriptures because we get them in a non-interactive format. Format We get them in a carefully curated, manicured, sanitized form that that really doesn't help us, in, especially with these questions of those on the margins. And so are they really living prophets? I'm not doubting that they're prophets. I'm doubting that the, when the voice gets to us that it's actually a live conversation. Because mm. you can't I engage I really it. think, what? Because you can't engage it. Right, exactly. And I think they are so so f- afraid of saying the wrong thing or so afraid of creating a precedent or so afraid of challenging the image that they want to curate that they don't take risks. They don't have the press come and ask them hard questions. They don't want to answer those questions. They want to answer questions from adoring fans in a very carefully carefully sculpted well, I don't even know. That's not even the right word. But a very carefully sculpted artificial like forum. Yeah. I'm reminded of what Jesus promised his apostles, those he sent out in Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, where he says, don't worry about what happens if, if you're confronted by hostile people. The Lord, the Spirit will inspire you with the words to say in that moment. Why don't they go where their prophetic powers can be on display. Like, that, I know they're prophets. I I honestly think I have more confidence in their prophetic abilities than they do. I sustain them more than they sustain themselves, and I've said that quite before, Mm. uh, quite a number of times before. But yeah, I honestly think that they would be afraid for queer people like me to publicly get into a forum where I say, you know what, you're going to sit in this seat and you can't leave until you answer all my questions publicly on the record. Mm. And then we could ask them questions like, what do you think will happen to queer people after our death? What do you think, uh, what is your reasoning behind not seeking a revelation? What is your view of, of gay ceilings? And you would, they would not have good answers to those questions, yet in the moment, God would give them some new information. Mm. I'm glad you were Let, able to get something out of that uh, that little section. Like, oh, I can get something out of every little section. <laughs> <laughs> of course you can. Of course you can. Right. I actually had totally forgotten that there was a proclamation that was to, mm-hmm. to be like written to. Mm-hmm. I, I guess the world, the leaders of the world. Like, this is not right. something that I remembered. As soon as I saw that, I was like, let me see what the purpose of it is, and. You know, of course, just mm-hmm. a couple minutes ago before we started recording, I was like, oh, this is available online. I need to actually sit down and read this sometime and see what we thought was so important that we had to right. declare to everybody. But I, I just thought it was interesting that something like that existed in the first place. Yeah. Like, we've had six proclamations in the history of the church. I don't have the list in front of me. The most recent one, of course, is the one on the restoration from 2020. And then there was the proclamation on the straight family from 1995. But the first two, there was one in 1841 right before this revelation. And then there was one in 1845, which got around to uh, appealing to kings and presidents as we have here. Mm. So I want to talk about the Nauvoo House. The Nauvoo House. Is this like... The Nauvoo House. That thing that was like the equivalent of the visitor center? Yeah. All right, just exactly. making sure. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So, in verses 22 and 23 of section 124, it says, Build a house unto my name, such a one as my servant Joseph shall show unto them, upon the place which he shall show unto them also. 23, and it shall be for a house for boarding a house that strangers may come from afar to lodge therein. Therefore, let it be a good house worthy of all acceptation that the weary traveler may find health and safety while he shall contemplate the word of the Lord and the cornerstone I have appointed for Zion. Notice that there's a spiritual purpose to the welcome of the stranger. Mm. And why is it that when people talk about keeping the commandments, they have a list of about seven or eight Word of wisdom, tithing, law of chastity, doing your 
what used to be called home teaching, like the checkoff list of stuff you know you can check off. Right. But here, you can't really ever check off, were you hospitable enough? Did you reach out enough <laughs> to the stranger, to the refugee, and so forth? Mm. But this reminds me, there's this is a biblical, a serious Torah a obligation, a serious, serious biblical value. It's it's very, very important. Yeah. You know, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Ooh. the inn where the Samaritan hosts the individual in need is called a pandokeion in Greek. And literally, it means receiving all. Um, you get the pan of pan, well, pansexual act or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the, it's pandokeion. It's a place that receives all. And by the way, this is not the word that gets translated as in in Luke 2, which is kataluma. And that really isn't an inn. It's a lodge. It's a guest room in someone's house, a place that you can lodge. It doesn't have to be an inn. Anyway, I want to talk about the revelations in context. It says, and I'm just going to quote here from a few places in the text. The revelation commanded that two buildings be built, a temple and a hotel or boarding house called the Nauvoo House. Both were referred to as a house unto my name. Both were to be holy places, worthy of the Lord's acceptance, and both were to become the central building projects of the saints for the next six years. More of the revelation, and this is talking about Revelation uh, section 124, more of the revelation is devoted to the Nauvoo house than to any other subject. It was to be a residence for Joseph Smith, his family, and their posterity. It was to be a house for boarding, a house that strangers may come from afar to lodge therein, where a traveler would find health and safety while he shall contemplate the word of the Lord and the cornerstone I have appointed for Zion. Joseph Smith repeatedly emphasized the importance of the Nauvoo House. At a meeting at the site of the uncompleted temple on February 21, 1843, the prophet stated, The building of Nauvoo House is just as sacred in my view as the temple. I want the Nauvoo House built. It must be built. Our salvation depends on it. When men have done what they can or will for the temple, let them do what they can for the Nauvoo house, close quote. And I just closed Joseph's quote, and I just closed the quotation from the um, Revelations in context. Mm. And hospitality is, you know, culturally, we've got some really weird distortions and emphases. Like, we have exaggerated i'm gonna say that we have exaggerated the importance of the temple compared to everything else we're supposed to do isn't that shocking like right. people are all about the temple what about all, all the nauvoo house mm. hospitality is a biblical value i only have time for three quotes can you believe that i'm, I'm limiting <laughs> to three there are dozens and dozens of quotes about hospitality in the bible and hospitality by the way isn't about setting out tea and cookies it's about the protection of the stranger. What people mm -hmm. don't realize is that in the ancient world, there was no cell phone, there was no police, there was no stop and shop, which is a local uh, grocery store here. Like if you went to a strange town, you literally were at the mercy of the people there for protection, for food, for water, for communication, for everything. Mm -hmm. You were dependent on them for everything. Mm-hmm. And even if you had money, you were still at the mercy of the people there right. to, uh, to give you stuff. Mm -hmm. So here's what we've got. Matthew, Matthew 25, 43. Jesus says on the judgment, he didn't say on the final judgment, well, what ordinances did you check off? Mm -hmm. Or did you, you know, these other um, superficial things. He says, I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Uh, this word for stranger is hospice in the Latin Vulgate, from which we get hospital, hospitality, um, hotel, actually. Hotel comes from, from the same word. And it's xenos in Greek, from which we get xenophobia. Uh, the stranger, the guest, the, the one who's unknown. Mm -hmm. Then we've got Hebrews 13, 2. Do not neglect hospitality. 
and this is the word xenophilia, the love of strangers, literally, do not neglect hospitality because through it some have entertained angels without knowing it. And then Deuteronomy, uh, no, let's do Leviticus 19, verses 33 through 34. I love this. When a foreigner or stranger resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That needs Mm. to be up there with tithing Mm. or whatever is the latest thing that we're doing. So now we're going to talk about Sodom. I don't even know if we've talked about Sodom much. I have to say, like in the context of hospitality, I'm pretty sure we've spoken about it when we've had our brief little discussions about, you know, I I think last time we discussed the New Testament or Romans or something like that, maybe that was the time where we made the reference to uh, Mm -hmm. the scriptures in Ezekiel about hospitality, but that was like the closest we've come to the discussion of Sodom. Right. Yeah, so Ezekiel, our friend Ezekiel, said that this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She was overfed and unconcerned and didn't help the poor and needy. Mm -hmm. That is how Ezekiel identifies the sin of Sodom. Mm -hmm. And the rabbis, the rabbis of the Mishnah and the Talmud connected Sodom which was destroyed for wickedness. They've connected that with the word wicked in Deuteronomy 15.9. Uh, Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him not, and he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. Basically, this is the the sabbatical year when when, um, enslaved folks go free, and when debts get returned, and people whose, I mean, debts get forgiven. And so it's wickedness to not help your poor brother, right? Right. So that's what the rabbis did is they hit upon that's the wickedness of Sodom. And I want to give a couple of stories from the Babylonian Talmud. This is Tractate Sanhedrin 109b. And these stories probably don't go back to the Sodom of history. these, These stories probably don't go back that far so we can't like say oh this comes from the time it comes from a later time but here's how when you look at sodom in the context of the the torah values here's what comes out i'm going to quote it directly it says (laughs) when a poor person would happen to come to sodom each and every person would give him a dinar which is a coin and the name of the giver was written on each dinar and they would not give or sell him bread so that he could not spend the money and would die of hunger. When he would die, each and every person would come and take his dinar. And this, this makes me really upset. This is how evil the Sodomites were. They, someone would come to their, their city. They were prosperous. They had, they were, they had a lot of agriculture. They were very fertile. They had a lot of food. People would come to them and to mock their poverty, they would all give them, give him money. They would all give him a coin and they would all write their own name on the coin. And then he would starve to death because they wouldn't sell him bread. And then they would all take their coin back because that's, they put their name on it. Like how I would have I would have like done what God did to Sodom too. I mean I'm I'm totally nonviolent. I would have I would have burnt them in in fire and brimstone for this. This is not okay. Dang. Then here's another story. There's many stories about how they hated outsiders, and the reason why they hated outsiders was why the same reason why America hates outsiders. We're prosperous and we don't want to share our wealth. We don't want people coming in and getting welfare. We don't want people coming across our border and getting the free health care that we don't even have for our own people, right? We don't want to share our, our, our prosperity, and so we want to keep people out. Anyway, so here's another story. There was a young woman who would take in Sodom, right? She was she was in Sodom, and she secretly uh, would would give people food. Here's what it says: There was a young woman who would take bread out to poor people in a pitcher, so the people of Sodom would not see it. 
the matter was revealed, and they smeared her with honey and positioned her on the wall of the city, and the hornets came and consumed her. Basically, they they didn't kill the poor people. They killed the sodomite who did not stand in solidarity with their wickedness. You can't really even read these things without being overwhelmed by by this. That's understandable. And, you know, that's the first time I ever heard you espouse a nonviolent or I guess a non-nonviolent solution to a very real problem of, you know, unhospitality. Just uh, that that's shocking to me to, to have heard you say say that. Like, I understand and I completely empathize. That's just to Oops. me a bit out of character for the Derek I know, but also well, humanizes you a little bit because I'm just well, like, there's I, oh, well, let me backtrack. I've got a loophole for this. If you look at mm-hmm. what Paul says in, I think it's Romans 12, um, responding to injustices, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So the Lord, I guess, has the right to, to use violence? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't go kill people, but I could definitely see why an outcry like this is worthy of the um, destruction that God... By the way, of course, the underlying thing is this. this what, they weren't killed for their love for other men. Right. Right. They were right. killed for, for something way worse. Yeah. Yeah. So my point is, we need to get back to the Nauvoo House spirit in the church to mm-hmm. use our prosperity for others, to welcome those who aren't welcome elsewhere, to find people on the margins. We should be the most anti-racist church there is. We should be, if the we're most the pro-refugee, and we are, like we should be pro-refugee. We should mm-hmm. be pro-LGBT. We should be pro-women. We should be pro everyone that that isn't centered mm-hmm. anyway there's an, another half to this not only were they going to build this Nauvoo house but they were also going to build a university so I'm going to quote from the January 18141 proclamation here's what it says quote the University of the city of Nauvoo will enable us to teach our children wisdom to instruct them in all knowledge and learning in the arts, sciences, and learned professions. We hope to make this institution one of the great lights of the world, and by and through it to diffuse that kind of knowledge which will be of practical utility and for the public good, and also for private and individual happiness. The regents of the university will take the general supervision of all matters appertaining to education from common schools up to the highest branches of a most liberal collegiate course i love that a most liberal collegiate course and of course liberal doesn't mean what it means now it means very expansive and comprehensive in in all the arts and sciences um freely uh studied so when we look at this uh, and this is part of the city charter by the way that the revelations in context book talks about is how important this university was to the city of nauvoo And so Nauvoo actually had three spiritual fortresses. Only one of them was the temple. The others were the Nauvoo house and the university. The temple isn't the only locus of spiritual power in this dispensation. We should also invest in these other, um, other houses of the Lord. I'm going to call them a house of the Lord, right? hospitality towards outsiders, and the education of the community. So even if other humans in the church block our access to the temple, they can't block our access to the other houses of the Lord, these spiritual wellsprings of, on the one hand, bearing the burdens of those in need, and secondly, pursuing quality academic scholarship. What are your thoughts on this? I want to empower people, especially who are discriminated against currently in the temple. Something that I thought about during during the last breaking conversation was how the story of uh, that young woman being consumed by hornets for being hospitable in ways that other people did not approve of her being hospitable. I suppose not standing in solidarity with you know the sodomite greed that that reminded me a lot of um, you know I suppose a lesser version of this where legislation was passed to prevent. 
uh, people from giving snacks and water to people standing in line to vote. Oh, um, you yeah. know, we have this myth of, and we just love to create scarcity, at least in, uh, at least in the United States, as a means of disenfranchisement, and um, that is something we desperately need to desperately need to work on. Like I'm still learning about this as I, you know, study in school. Like there are whole ideas that came with modernity, including uh, along racial and orientation lines that have basically created or and continue to create new ways to just be unnecessarily mm -hmm. cruel to other people for the sake of being superior, uh, for the sake of preserving a comfortable status quo, for the sake of just feeling superior. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still learning where all of this came from. And it, even if the study of where this came from is an appropriate thing to do. I, I suppose mm -hmm. my immediate thought is uh, just to first of all validate everything that you said about the church wanting to wanting the church to. It's not like we don't have humanitarian efforts or like we don't have efforts to be hospitable. The church does have programs that you know make sure people are fed, that make sure people mm -hmm. are educated. Mm -hmm. But what we don't necessarily have is a culture of those things, a culture that uh, encourages people to be hospitable mm -hmm. to, you know, which I, I, I have a really difficult time bridging that disconnect because I, mm -hmm. I want to be and validate and praise these things that the church has. But like when I see too many members of our faith who feel so strongly about, you know, not taking care of refugees or are so um, feel any kind of way about letting women hold more power in the church or mm -hmm. feel any kind mm -hmm. of way about letting queer folks have a standing as valid as everybody else's mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. like that just does not quite compute to me. Like, I'm not going to say I don't know why that doesn't exist, but at the same right. time, I, I see a very similar thing happening here. I see a very sodomite attitude. I'm just like, what mm -hmm. is the problem mm -hmm. with y'all? Mm -hmm. Like, why mm -hmm. is it so difficult to, for one thing, interrogate the way that things have been done and mm -hmm. two, propose this radical notion that somehow queer folks are mm -hmm. entitled to what everybody else is, mm -hmm. that we should be anti-racist and that we should have uh, strategies and policies to the end of rec recognizing and affirming the humanity of people on the margins. Like, why yeah. is that a part of our institution in some measure? but not part of our culture, not part of our curriculum, not part of our sermons. You know what I'm saying? Like this past general conference, we talked about these efforts. We talked about what we're doing, you know, give ourselves a nice pat on the back. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's still that bridge that's missing and I don't know how to correct it necessarily. It's just something that I've noticed and something that you've highlighted just now that I think is mm -hmm. worth saying again. And uh, I, I admit, man, I don't really know what to do about it or how else to talk about it at this point, because that's just, I don't know, it feel, perhaps it feels mm -hmm. more complex than it actually is, but that's, that, that's just my initial yeah. thoughts for the time being. I'm sorry, I don't have more to contribute to that thought. Yeah, well, you know, I was just thinking about one of our biggest sodomite problems right now in our country is vaccines, masking, social distancing, all these other things. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are going to be selfish and say, why do I need to protect them? Well, they can go get, you know, this is about hospitality, making the place a habitable place for people. It's about um, protection of the stranger. This is a hospitality issue. It is a biblical value. And we have the attitude of Sodom and Gomorrah when we refuse to vaccinate more than 60% of our adults. Mm. You know, and if people are saying, well, Derek, you're misconstruing the, the, the text. First of all, um, I'm not. And B, Jesus does the same thing in Matthew chapter 10 when he says he connects Sodom and Gomorrah not with 
um, gay love between consenting adults. He connects it with the rejection of the stranger. He says, and whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart of the, out of that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Ooh. day of judgment than for that city. Ooh. Isn't that interesting? Dude. Like Jesus is using Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of rejection of the stranger, inhospitality. And that um, ordinance of the dusting off of the feet for inhospitality. Like that should show mm -hmm. you how serious inhospitality mm -hmm. is yeah. in our sacred text. Because we don't talk about the language of shaking off the dust of our feet very lightly. We, we take that very seriously. That should, so I just wanted to say that, we, that right, should show exactly. us how serious this is. Well, now I feel bad saying that I would smite all of Sodom like, like no, God did if I were bad. God. Do not feel but bad. But I mean, that. okay, let me let me let me just be honest. I would feel like it, but I wouldn't do it because of my principles of nonviolence. But yeah. I still would oh. feel like it, or at least I would understand why the narrative has God destroy them. Like anyway, I've got more to talk about, so okay. we're gonna have to see how this this goes. Yes, sir. I want Let's to talk go. a little bit about the baptisms for the dead, the temple in Nauvoo making provision for a baptismal font for the dead. This is another example of our ever-expanding circle of inclusion and the filling in the gaps in our plan of salvation. Like the restoration is unfinished. We've got a lot of gaps. We've got more gaps in our plan of salvation than we have knowledge which should give everyone humility when they talk about the plan of salvation. Before um, before this part of the plan was revealed, no one knew of any provision for the salvation of those who died before hearing the gospel. Other Protestant and Catholic church bodies were saying, whoops, if you, if you died without hearing the gospel, if you died without baptism, you're going to hell or limbo in Catholicism. But I want everyone who can hear me and, you've, and remember what I'm saying is whenever you hear the word covenant path for the rest mm -hmm. of your life, when you hear the word covenant path, I want you to take, take that and, and, and remember this, this business about the uh, baptism of the dead, that the covenant path may look different for different people and people are going to get what they need. People are going to be reached the way they need to be reached because God is no respecter of persons. And so think in your head, covenant path, that starts with C and P. Think covenant path, CP, then circumcision paradox. Remember that. Because the issue with the Gentiles was not whether the Gentiles would be included, but on what terms. Mm -hmm. They were always welcome to join God's people. Back to the days of Ruth, mm -hmm. you had converts. Back to the days of Tamar, uh, I'm sorry, not Tamar, Rahab. Back to the days of, of Rahab, you had Gentiles joining God's people. So the issue is not whether the Gentiles would be included, but on what terms, and it turns out they have a different covenant path, which does not involve circumcision for men. It does not involve keeping all of the laws of the Torah. It does not involve keeping the Sabbath or keeping the other festivals or keeping the laws of kashrut, kosher food. Paul says in Romans 2, 25 and 26, that circumcision has its value if you practice the law, but if you break the law, which includes hospitality towards the stranger, which includes feeding the poor, which includes reparations, like all these things, if you don't do those things, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. I can't exaggerate how radical this would have been to Paul's audience, where people were boasting in their circumcision. He says, you, won't, you can't boast in circumcision. If the uncircumcised man obeys the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? This is radical. Mm. Like, you can have a detour in the, quote, covenant path, which is, when you hear covenant path, think circumcision paradox. The covenant path was different for different people. Right. And in fact, if you were part of the covenant people and you were, got, were, were circumcised, it counts as uncircumcision. The way of making the exact parallel today so that people will hear how radical it would have held, how radical it would have sounded to Paul's audience would be if I got up there 
in in general conference and said, look, if you don't feed the poor, your ceiling has become unsealing. Mm. If you don't um, engage in the work of anti-racism, your baptism has become unbaptism. You can't boast in your ordinances. You can't mm. boast in your covenant path. You can't boast in your little checklist. First Corinthians 7.19 says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Instead, keeping God's commandments is what counts. Hmm. We could say today, sealing in a straight marriage That's is nothing. nothing. And the lack of being sealed in a straight marriage is nothing. All that stuff is nothing compared to Christ. Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision carries any weight. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. And we on the margins, we've got that faith working through love. We've got the faith and we've got the love. We have nothing to worry about. If someone says, oh, Derek, you're not sealed. You know, I'm not sealed to anyone. Unlike some gay folks in the church who are sealed to their parents, at least, I'm not sealed to anyone. And you know what? I don't care because all that matters is faith working through love and no one can take away from that. People can block me from being sealed in the temple to a man. No one can block me from Christ. Which gets back to something I'm going to bring out from, from verses 49 and 50 of this revelation about what to do when you can't obey the commandment because of factors beyond your control. I'm not going to read these verses for the sake of time, but it basically says that when I give you a commandment and you do what you can and your enemies hinder you from performing that work, look, I'm not requiring it anymore. I will just accept your effort. Like we're going to be judged after the desires of our heart, which is, I think is in DNC 137 about the salvation of those who have, have died already. We who are queer in the church are always asked to run faster than we have strength. And that's not okay. It is absolutely not okay. And speaking of the justice issues that we in the church should do, we've got this principle of reparations here in verse 71. And this is, people say, well, uh, this is like boring, chartery, economic y stuff, like whatever. No, there's a spiritual component to this. Just like there's a spiritual component to hospitality, a spiritual component to education, and a, spirit, a spiritual component to justice and love. Anyway, verse 71 says, And if they do appropriate any portion of that stock anywhere else, only in that house without the consent of the stockholder and do not repay fourfold for the stock which they appropriate anywhere else, only in that house, they shall be accursed and shall be moved out of their place, saith the Lord God. For I, the Lord, am God and cannot be mocked in any of these things. If we don't pay rep reparations for the, for the damages that we've done, we're mocking God. You know, I'm reminded of how in Luke 19, verse 8, Zacchaeus repaid the the, the, tax, the toll collector, the tribute collector. I'm mm -hmm. not going to call him a tax collector because that makes it sound like in a Western democracy we all chip in with a representative government where we actually consent and govern ourselves. This is an exploitation that Rome did to conquered peoples taking tribute and hauling it off back to Rome. That's what they were collecting. Mm. And in addition to that, they um, did it unjustly and defrauded people that they were collecting taxes from. And Zacchaeus said, you know what, I'm going to repay fourfold. Exodus 21 verse 37 talks about that if you steal oxen or sheep, you must repay five or fourfold for the thing you stole. Reparations are biblical. Mm. Anyway, so I just dumped a lot. <laughs> but I'm Here done. For it, Here for it. I, I'm done for now. For now. That lets you for guys now. know. Derek there, there's going to be going. more Bible coming out somewhere. <laughs> but Of course there is. Of course there is. But again, here for here for all of it. And uh, speaking of which, we are at about 53 now. And this is probably just a good time to wrap things up. So, Wait, I did a lot of talking. I don't think I let you do, do enough talking. Honestly, Derek, it's fine. People are going to hear my voice a lot in the, in the next two to three weeks. So let's uh, just ooh. say... Let's just say this is reparations now for all this time I'm going to be stealing in the next couple of weeks. So let's just let's just say that. 
not going to spoil too much, but you guys will be hearing from us some more in the next few weeks. Uh, more content is going to be coming your way. I'll talk about that a little bit later, though. Wow. Okay. Anyway, anyway, let's go ahead and wrap it up there. And um, in doing so, oh, sorry, before we wrap up, got to let you guys know that Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought, has a new podcast partner we want to put you on to called the Fireside Podcast with Blair mm-hmm. Hodges. It features uh, in-depth interviews about religion and culture featuring brilliant writers, scholars, activists, and more. If you are spiritual but not religious, mm-hmm. or religious but not spiritual, or something else entirely, there's a seat saved for you at Fireside. Learn more and listen to Fireside by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts or at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. That's dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. Uh, Brother Derek, where can people find us? You can find us at beyondtheblockpodcast.com, also on Twitter and Instagram at btblds, and you can find us at uh, on Facebook by searching for us. That is correct. I also want to give a uh, special thanks to uh, Tamara Kemsley for editing the show, uh, David Doyle for editing our transcripts as well, as well as Stephanie Martz and Angela Carter for being a big help with uh, social media. Mm-hmm. And of course, the team doing the incredible work of assembling our episode outlines, including Stephanie Peterson, Gabrielle Honda, Christine Lestarge, Jen Altman, and Beth Johnson. These outlines also include the Faithful Feminist episodes and the Holy Human episodes from the same week, so you can have a one-stop shop for all your Come Follow Me needs. Uh, the link to the outlines will be in the show notes as well as the drop-down menu on mm-hmm. our website. And mm-hmm. I never remember the, the URL. What is it, Derek? It is tinyurl.com slash btboutlines. That is so freaking easy to remember, and I never remember it. I, I should write that down somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's in the notes. But anyway, same goes for the transcripts as well. If you're looking for uh, the transcripts, they are also in the drop-down menu. So with that, thank you, mm-hmm. everyone, for joining us this week. Till we meet again next week. Till we meet again next week. Bye.